0: This is not a recruitment podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Powered by People. Um, We are joined by William Brewer, Talent Strategy Director at the Rec Hub, and uh, Dee Jansons, uh, VP of People at Wheelie. We'll let Dee introduce
1: herself, um, as you know who me and Bill are. All right. Well, I'm Dee. Um, That's actually not my full name, but I'm not going to say it. Oh, now you have to. (laughs) Now you have to. No one's ever able to fully actually pronounce it correctly, right, but I'd it's. Practice. It's Divertje.
0: Okay, say so that one again. Divertje. Divertje. Yes. Divertje. Divertje. Um, where, where is the origination of. That? It's a
1: Frisian name, actually. So I'm Dutch. I'm from the okay. Netherlands. Um, it, I don't have any relation to the Frisians, but my parents thought it was a great name, or I think my dad thought it was a great name. Fantastic. Divertje. Uh, I moved to the US when I was 20 and right. people cannot pronounce my <laughs> name so I became D. So I've been this for quite some time. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, so I'm from the Netherlands. I moved to London five and a half months ago to take on the job that I have now at Wheelie. Then, um, Hate London. finding London. It's growing on me. <laughs> <laughs> it's... As is not gonna lie. It's never been my absolute favorite place. I've never actually saw myself living here but when I got the opportunity might as well just yeah. give it a chance. If it doesn't work out I'll be home in 45 minutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a really short flight.
0: <laughs> um, and now, so you start, you're now at Wheelie in London, but we're going to talk a little bit about some of the differences that you've experienced over your career working with US-based companies and the mindset and mentality and potential infrastructure in comparison to sort of more European-based companies, right? Yes. So you've worked with Netflix and Uber... What, are they the two main companies that you've sort of gained your experience from the US side of things? Yes,
1: they cover more
0: than half of my career. Okay, awesome. Yeah. And what were you doing for those companies?
1: Um, When I joined Uber, I joined them in the People Operations team. So they were expanding across Europe quite rapidly. Mm-hmm. And they needed someone to help that expansion into the countries. Okay. Which is... I I spent most of my two years there on making sure to facilitate that and coordinate it. Awesome. That's pretty exciting. It was really exciting. It was, the growth was absolutely insane. The pace (laughs) was insane. I think in those two years that I've been with Uber, I probably learned more than anyone would have gotten the opportunity to learn if you go to a maybe more mature mature company. Yeah. Yeah. for at least five to six years. It, we co- count them in dog years, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <That's all laughs> no, it.
0: That's...
1: Really aggressive, yeah.
0: So when you joined Uber, they had no real uh, European presence?
1: They had in a few markets, the main markets that they launched in the in and okay. uh, London, the Netherlands, I think it was Germany, Spain. The bigger ones made the usual suspects. But they were obviously very aggressively expanding into basically every country around. Mm-hmm. So they would set up local operations teams and marketing teams in each um, capital. Okay. And no, no company can, from a legal perspective, grow that quickly as an employer. You have to register yourself everywhere. Yeah. And um, so they expand it through employer of record status, so that you work with the company who facilitates it, and then on the in the back end, you. You get to try Starts to so that. work uh, in 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 place, but it can take months and even years in some countries no. to get these places. No, and it also but also includes up benefits programs for every single country that you launch because you want to offer them something similar. That's a
0: quick question, because EOR is like a rapidly rising, uh, you know, market and lots of companies. We're seeing lots of new companies come up in this plat in this sort of uh, area. Did you were you using them yourself? Was that something that you were setting up? Who's your favorite um EOR company during that time?
1: Um, Who's my favorite? I don't know if I have a favorite. Yeah, we could go really <laughs> hard do worst. Um, I worked with a few of them. Um I worked with remote, I worked with Deal, I worked with a yeah. safeguard. Deal just got another round of funding, I think. Yes. Um I think Deal was probably the easiest to work with, and that's because their their technology was quite advanced and yeah. compared to some others. Um, and they had, they offered a really quick turnaround. I don't know how they did it in comparison to others. I'm not saying that their services were better than the rest, but it was just really quick. And that worked extremely well with what we were trying to do. Well, when you're running at such a pace, you want any supplier and any uh,
2: people that you're working with that certainly to, to sort of yes. match that, don't you? Yes, yeah. Yeah, crazy looking like when you think about this, this year and the last six months of what it's been like for businesses and then you flash back to if Uber hired thousands of-
1: Yeah. There weren't that many options back then from an employer of record perspective, but now there's yeah, so they're,
0: they're
1: many. many. Yeah, um, And so what, what, what do you think the fundamental differences between
0: sort of Uber and, say, Wheelie are in terms of sort of the... Uh, one being a US-based and one being a, a, a sort of a European-based company?
1: I think it's the... Mission and the the vision that they're trying to build in terms of what the service and the the product that they're offering, Uber is. What I really liked was Uber is challenging the status quo in terms of the monopoly of the taxi, um, yep. taxi taxi companies, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, and they and they also did it like they disrupted the entire industry, which I thought was really fun. But the way they went about it was obviously. Um. not necessarily appreciated
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes and I think it's I think it was the only way to do it but it was quite aggressive and it came in with quite a I think a Silicon Valley startup perspective that yep. I think especially EMEA in that respect really was not ready for and mm-hmm. they really did not know how to handle adapt it. as quickly as possible to handle that the rise of of such a company,
0: um we but why they did it so aggressively, it so grow so aggressively quickly. Is it just fear of competition, or yeah, I guess so. I
1: mean, you prob- I, maybe I'm I don't easier. I don't know the exact reason. I assume as soon as
2: other countries started seeing it pop up, then you would have a lot of competitors trying to do it in their own countries mm-hmm. quite quickly, and if they were able to take over as much market share as quick as possible, yeah, it stopped.
1: Yeah, it's it's building market share. I'm assuming it. Yeah. yeah.
2: But Americans have, I mean, as a when I've worked with Americans or American businesses, they I think naturally over there they're more raised to believe that, and in a way of like we're the greatest, it's going to be the greatest company. We're the greatest. We're great at what we do. So in their expansion around taking over the like other countries, it's like you say aggressive into new countries and saying we're the greatest. We're the greatest company. um, They don't necessarily think too much about you know what might go wrong and stuff like that. They're just rapid.
1: They went in, and then they said, "We'll deal with whatever comes our way yeah. after we do this." Asked for forgiveness and not permission. Yes, yeah, I, that's the way. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
2: Because it's interesting as well, because your background from right—obviously, you're a European, but I spent most of your career in U.S. companies. So you're yeah. probably used to working more in a U.S. style than a European way of working.
1: Yeah, partially. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yeah.
0: And did you do the similar a similar thing with Netflix? Which came first, Uber? Or the- Uber came first. So then did you do a similar thing with Netflix in terms of that European rollout?
1: It was different. Um, the rollout for Netflix was obviously just expanding the service into 100-and-something countries all in one day, and that was not necessarily as disruptive. Because you
0: don't necessarily need local operations for no, streaming?
1: No, no, yeah, you okay. don't, um, because it was all streamed from the US. You just, just expand and give access and get onto the network to get it up and running. I think in that respect, the expansion came from moving into EMEA, also an Asia Pacific, um, becoming a more regional company with a better focus on content produced in the regions, instead of it all being English language from the US. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then after that, making a decision to move from regional to local. So then they would start opening offices in markets itself so that the Spanish language market would have an office in Spain and the French market has an office in France. So that that growth came from that respect. So then you start building these teams around these local markets, invest yep. in those markets.
0: And, More yeah. customer success driven rather than operational, right? Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. So how's that? going from Netflix, Uber, and now in that environment, which is a different mindset, right, I guess?
1: I actually really like it. The reason that I am where I am today is because Wheelie in itself has been around for a little while. Mm. So it's a it's a little bit more mature, mature a little bit more stable. Yeah. Um, it has done some of these things before. They worked out really well. They know what they're doing. Yeah, um, The business model works. And that, for me, I think after many, many years in hyper growth, stage is nice to be able to to work with something that already exists and then turn it into something new for the next phase yeah Mm. rather than building it from the ground up and see where it ends
0: makes sense that's just quite it's doing the whole building from from scratch is
1: quite tiring it is quite tiring Uh, it's It's real it's really it's really fun but you also always are putting out fires consistently
0: yeah and you know you must you must have seen quite a lot of burnout you know in in uh, in those businesses where you're growing at such a rapid rate yeah. people are like are trying to stay on that journey and, and keep up that pace but it, it, you know not everyone is going to make that and i suppose being now in a in a more mature organisation you get to think a little bit further ahead when you're running at such a pace you can barely look at at your feet where you you know where your next step is whereas when you get a, get a minute you're in a more mature organisation you get to look a little bit further ahead and actually start the things that you'll be working on and the
2: challenges are going to be completely different, right? As um, you just yeah. said, right? I mean, planning in those super fast Netflix Uber companies, you deal with challenges as they come up. You're running yes. a bit yeah. hours, whereas where you are now, you're probably planning for the challenges. Come yes. Ahead so
1: you move to being very reactive to being proactive, and yeah, that's yeah, yeah, the that. biggest difference.
2: Yeah. What do you
0: think the the, the next challenges for you at Wheelie are? The next challenge
1: for me at Wheelie the next challenge for me, it really is, it's becoming more international and there is plans for expansion, um, and I think potentially moving that to the U.S. could be yeah. interesting.
0: There's got to be a huge market for it.
1: There. I, 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 I think we all believe so, yes, yeah. uh, but I think it's making sure that we're ready to go based on the learnings and the lessons that we've learned from here. So where's your main markets now? London, Paris and Dubai. Okay.
2: Paris. That's interesting. Yep. Uh, I mean I've had a taxi in Paris, it's incredibly difficult to get around in a car yeah. in
0: Paris. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Are they more like luxury motorcycles?
1: <laughs> that's Bangkok. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um
0: but yeah, you can you can hundred percent see that uh if it if it works in London and Dubai, New York would be an i I would imagine a, a no brainer if they're all relatively similar. You see lots of the Luxury sort of service operating businesses that that t- choose those three places to to sort of set up. Yep, um, makes sense. I think then, that the, the, like a lot of the main, a lot of the large cities I- around the, around the US are going to be primed for something like Wheelie, though. It's a lot of wealth in in, the, in America, isn't there? Yeah, yes. I think so. Right. Um, for, I suppose we should probably say what Wheelie is, but to give a description of yeah we're talking about it as if everyone yes. knows it, but it's yeah. maybe not <laughs> we could use it this we're not we're not getting paid for this guy
1: yeah <laughs> <I'm> not... <laughs>
0: we'll talk about sponsorship afterwards
1: yeah so wheelie is a luxury services company um on demand mostly and um, we have luxury chauffeuring services we have luxury concierge services uh, to basically give people their time back by ordering or having someone to take care of either you your family members or any errands that you might need to run
0: uber on steroids
1: uber on steroids
0: with a with uber for the high end <laughs> uber for the rich yeah um it's like what was the what's the one that were they they put at the top of when are you going to order uber now uber exec but like times 10 out
2: but is uh, in Cuba in Dubai has, like, helicopters and stuff now as well? Can, they uh, do. Yeah. We really have is private jets. The,
1: is that something on the wheelie
2: um, plan to go to the helicopter space?
1: I mean, luxury services can extend to a lot. Today, yeah. But I don't know what the next option is that we're going to explore yet. Or if I would know, I wouldn't tell you either.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're releasing all the Powered by <laughs> podcast.
2: <laughs> Um, I was going to say, one. I mean, the big topic of today was U.S. versus um, European-style companies. You've yeah. worked, obviously, in both of them. A lot of the listeners that we have are working in the TA space or going into these sorts of companies. Is there any advice that you would give for people as to what to expect if they've never worked in a U.S. company before? They've never worked with a big tech company. They've only worked with European companies. What sort of advice would you have for them what to kind of expect? Is there large differences that they should be knowing of? Or-
1: I think the biggest difference comes from the fact that there's a lot of very strict regulation in our region when it comes to being an employer and how you should behave as an employer. Um, and in the US, that is the opposite.
0: Yeah, there's basically none.
1: There's basically none. There is. A, it's all up to the discretion of the company. There is some really great companies who've obviously brought up um, these policies, if you want to call them, around what they want to offer their employees. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if they're new to the game and they don't know what that's like here, that is the challenge sometimes.
2: You always see it when I speak to people, If to be honest, even Europeans dealing with certain countries in Europe, where they have very different regulations around employment yes. law. Europe is very much protective of the employees. Very the much. Business. And some countries take that even further, like France, for example. Very difficult to operate, in if you've never operated there, yeah. especially if you're an American company, yeah, walking into, I've seen that a few times. Yeah, I remember we had a French office in a previous company of mine, and uh, a guy walked up to me once and said, "Hey, look, I, I don't want to work anymore. I want to leave." And I said, "Okay, well, fair enough. You can you can leave." He said, "No, no, I'm not leaving. You can pay me to leave." Yep. And I'm, I was like, <laughs> "Pardon? No, if you want to leave, you." <laughs> Pardon? Sorry? What's what's going on? Uh, oh, he something? said, no, I don't enjoy working here. It's not for me anymore, but I'd like you to pay me to leave. I've been yeah. here for free. Settle. Yeah.
1: yeah. Mutual, mutual <laughs> settlement and then the person leaves.
2: And yeah. that's a UK to France. I couldn't understand it because i have always say UK is probably in the middle between the US and... Yeah, we're a, a little bit, we're,
0: we're, I suppose, protective of the employee and the business. Yeah. You know, a lot of Central Europe is is predominantly protective of the employee. Yeah. Uh America is protective of the employer. Yes. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, you I was talking to a guy uh yesterday um who's American. He said, you know, he's worked at many companies where it's like you get rid of anybody on that day without notice, uh, no more pay, goodbye, mm-hmm. and they could be there five years. You're lucky if you get two weeks' pay, you know. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. But that is that's how America is. It's just yeah. That's one of the main differences in terms of how that how the employer is going to see you when you're in when you're in the in their organisation, I suppose.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's obviously then goes into the people as well, right? Because they know the power that they have as well. When you deal with people, um, we work a lot with German businesses and French businesses. They know the power that they have in businesses, and you see often americans that then work in a european company they still think like they work in an american company don't quite understand their rights as an employee and things like that which is really interesting and it yeah. definitely must impact like the way in which companies envision
0: scaling because scaling in america you can hire people and and they can quit within with a two weeks notice whereas in germany you're lucky if you get three months notice so in terms of onboarding them, you've got two month, you know, a month of finding them, mm. interviewing them, then a three month note. So you're actually your plans to hire yeah. have to be a lot longer uh, or a lot more stretched out, right?
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah. I
2: think that's why these mass layoffs have been so shocking around Europe for a lot of people because we've never seen anything.
1: Not, before. not that I know of, and that no.
2: Yeah, but in the US, obviously, they they do a lot of shutdowns and layoffs and scale up and scale down because they can. they they're, they're, they're Law allows them to do that. It's a lot more fluidly. Yeah. Whereas in Europe, you know, you go and lay off. You're a tech company from America. You go and lay off, you know, three thousand people in Europe. It's shocking, and no one's ever seen it before.
1: It takes it takes a long time because a lot of companies also have work councils that need to be negotiated with, yeah. and those councils have regulation that you need to adhere to. Yeah. There's the process that you need to follow, and the only way that you, if you if you as a company want to skip all of it, the only way that you can do is just throw, throw a, a, a money on the table. Yeah. And even then, it's my, it might not actually work. So it is...
0: You've got to have good lawyers.
1: Yes. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You've
1: go, my, uh... We recommend everyone ever, if they get into this conversation, lawyer up and lawyer get get up. one and start talking to your to your employer about what that looks like. My wife did that and uh, they had better lawyers. That's a, that's
2: a <laughs> nice thing, right? I was speaking to a, a friend of mine in Germany and he was laid off and he said, you know, I, I, it's okay, I've got legal insurance. And they have. It's much more common in Germany to have legal insurance for yourself when you oh, need really? legal aid yeah. um, for topics like that. In the UK, we're just like, oh, we've got nothing. Oh, we've just been laid off. Don't even think about it. You know, we we feel like we're not protected at all. But in Germany, they're raised to think like that. It's much more common. You would have legal insurance for the second that those things happen. You're protected yeah. from it. Is that similar in the Netherlands as well?
1: Yeah it, it's it's pretty it's pretty common. But it's also in general just pretty common to either get a solicitor or lawyer to just at least review. Yeah. Um what is being offered if you are going that in that direction um it's also just because obviously you can end up in front of a court if you go through this whole entire process if people just don't agree with what's happening which fair yeah it, it all depends on how you do it and how you go about it but if you end up in front of a court nobody wants that the employee doesn't want it the employer doesn't want it so if you're going to go into in. a negotiation about what that looks like, I think as an employee, you should always have someone to support you through it, just like the company will have someone to support them through it. For sure.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But it's very expensive. That's why the legal insurance is very good for that. Right. Because in the UK, if you try to get a lawyer, it's quite expensive. Right. Yeah. And you've got to count that in. So if you don't win, yeah. then, Um
1: you're pretty Outside of the UK, it's pretty common for a company to actually pay towards getting some legal advice as well. I know in the Netherlands and France, for example, it's really like, common to have the company pay for part of it.
2: For the employee?
1: Yes. Oh, okay.
2: So if they're going through redundancy, they'd still pay for that person's...
1: Yeah, so uh, up to a certain amount to get some legal advice to make sure that they know what they're signing. Yes. Yeah,
0: My my wife went through redundancy just before our baby was born a y- nearly a year ago now, and they had exactly the same... Yeah, the redundancy package was there plus, I think, maybe £2,000 towards legal, uh, towards a lawyer to, to get the, the advice that
2: you think you need. Uh, and then, you know. Makes sense, right, actually, when you think about, because they don't want it to come back up again because the person didn't get the right representation. And then there's another court case in six months or a year. They, yeah. they also you to speak to their lawyers
0: gotcha. if you wanted to. Just didn't really feel like that was like... Yeah, because we have my interest in this, yeah, there, yeah. No, this is a really good offer, yeah. Really, really, you <laughs> should take this one. Well. And
1: that I would never advise to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so, we do have a bit of a tradition where we uh, we didn't copy this from any other podcast. <laughs> um, you mentioned one earlier. I don't know if it's Diary of CEO or something. Yeah. Uh, other but, podcasts um, are available. But, uh... um, also looking for sponsorship. Um, so you watching steve one of our previous guests uh has written a question for you d and obviously you'll be writing a question for one of our next guests um i don't know if this will be a continued tradition in in season two rosie isn't up for it I don't know if you can see that. <laughs> um but
2: uh we'll watch what steve does next and if he... yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: I maybe mean, we'll just... just watch what he does
2: and... yeah we'll just copy him as i was next idea rob um sorry, the question <laughs> is, what was
0: the most market changing period for TA and or
1: people and why? Oh, there's only one answer to this one. Mm-hmm. It's COVID of course <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think sure, COVID for COVID for people teams and I think the um following market what we're in now mm. or TA. Yeah, okay. Covid is because of the the huge transition to a working from home environment yep. that was, I think, everybody was unprepared for mm-hmm. the scale, the scale and the magnitude of it. Where was you when that happened? Netflix.
0: And that must have been a. Well, I suppose would they would they did they have a fairly flexible working,
2: hybrid working
1: there was a focus on in office and office. that is because of the creative environment that people work in and that works slightly better
0: in person yeah for sure
1: um but there was obviously always some flexibility yeah i think in general i think there was a preference for most people to also be in the office on a regular basis because yeah. of it yeah but yeah moving to time from Full home, time. home. Yeah. or what was it almost we ended about almost two years i think yeah, yeah it's um, crazy. huge a change about. yeah it's actually wild you see some like
0: um you know c- comedy skits about uh how it all started and
2: it's like that's crazy like that actually happened yeah yeah
1: it's not that long ago either.
2: it's not that long ago <laughs> how much of mindset is different now i mean we had this conversation every day when companies are saying you have to go to the office three days a week and people are like no way i could never do that <laughs> but like three years ago it was five days a week in an office. Yeah. Most companies, And now if you say, I oh, want you in the
0: office, uh, of any stretch of time, yeah. it's like, well, pay me more for that. Yeah. Or pay
2: Zoom, my travel. Zoom or... did it as well, right? Zoom just announced that, is it the 50-mile radius of their office, that the
1: company... Zoom. <laughs> of all, co- I mean, of of all companies,
2: miles, yeah. you've got to be in the office. Yeah, if only they had, yeah, if only they had a technology that helps them work remote <laughs> could be good for their
1: business. i mean, yeah, but wait, so everybody who lives in a 50-mile radius has to come back into the office? Has to be in the office three days a week. And everyone who lives outside of that do doesn't 50. have to do Five miles? No. You I have to would go into move in a heartbeat. Well, yeah, just bad. like, just jump
2: yeah. a mile down the or, road. Yeah, yeah, that's what they're saying, like real estate companies target Zoom employees. It's a
1: really unfair <laughs> way of doing things.
2: Yeah, it's crazy, right? I mean, I guess they've got to have some sort of line. So if that's what they're going to do, there has to be...
1: But I don't understand How is that reasoning. equitable? I don't get it. No, yeah, I,
2: there
0: is. seems but I mean, it just seems. But I, I, what's I, the what's reasoning? The, like, why? Just because you're sick of paying for an office a big long? As well, is it?
2: Fifty miles doesn't always represent travel time, as well, right? You could be twenty five miles, but if you live in a city, it take you a lot longer to get yes. somewhere than someone that lives, yeah, true miles away. So, I don't think, um, like how far away you are from an office. At least with Tesla or someone, they didn't even hide it. They just said, "Quit your job or move close to the office." Like they didn't. Like, they so just, everyone's got to come you know
1: what also places. comes into play here is that people I don't know where this where their office is based I'm assuming it's California
2: uh, t- uh, zoo yeah I think it is yeah, yeah. yeah. just that was
1: the ones who live farther away from the office probably usually make less money because they can't yeah. afford to live in that very central area that their office is in yeah. so you end up with being your highest paid most senior individuals in the office and the ones that are doing the operational work can't come in because they live too far or yeah. not expected to come in that yeah.
0: Doesn't make sense. No sense it
1: just to me. Doesn't make
0: yeah. sense. Yeah. Like if you was to say we need X type of person for collaboration purposes, yeah. Yes. You know, we want all designers in, or we want you know it's so engineering teams, product managers,
2: that engineering. engineering team, don't yeah. Don't mind because they do a lot of deep work, so they can stay at home. But marketing teams and any collaborational based teams get dragged back into the office now, don't they? But mm. I say dragged in. it, I don't think it's a bad thing if, if that's what <laughs> we want to do. But a lot of people feel like they're being dragged into an office, don't they? So, yeah, that's, that, that's, yeah, that's crazy. That's insane. I have idea I can't get my head around why they would.
1: I I can't wrap my head yeah. around that either. I see a
2: lot of companies now say like director level need to be in four days a week if you're this level, which kind of goes back to your point about salary and higher earners. They can afford more to commute in and travel a bit more. So I've seen companies start to do that um, a lot more. But, I mean, it is going that way now. A lot of companies are saying that. What's the bank sees at Wheelie?
1: We are um, we are an in office culture, yeah. Yeah. but we set that uh, expectation yeah. mm-hmm. during interviewing, um, and that's I big It's
0: almost like uh, when companies are providing a fully you know a, an office based environment, and we want you in five days a week. Uh, you you seem like many people are like in defense of why that's mm-hmm.
1: but that's fine. I think, it, I think fine it's fine too, but it's also if you set the expectations that that's what you expect, Yeah, yeah you sure. don't have to have that conversation. If yeah. it doesn't work for someone, fine. That's fine. That's yeah. fine. yeah, absolutely. Um, also, five days doesn't necessarily need it to be. We have, it's a very flexible approach, but we build an offline service. And if you build an off- offline service, how I think the mixture of building that online mm-hmm. seems a bit off yeah yeah and, that makes sense but the combination of it being a tech company as well so it does allow for a lot of online flexibility, or flexibility. Yeah. and we are dispersed so we're in multiple countries so there is obviously always an element of online um yeah or digital connection
2: and post pandemic was it quite quick that we really said right we're all back into the office now or i believe so yes because that i think is a really important thing i see that the companies that struggle the pandemic finished do i say finished i mean but slowed down and people could go back into an office. And then they spent a year to 18 months figuring out what they were going to do with the working policy yeah. and hired a lot of people in that time. By yeah,
1: saying, as far as I know, I wasn't here when that happened, but as far as I know, they went back in quite
2: quickly. Yeah. Which I is. think is a really good yeah. decisive thing to do and saying this is yeah. a big... Because yeah. <laughs> then you don't hire a lot of people with the wrong expectations. That's <laughs> it. You know, if you
0: wait if you wait two years and you're hiring lots of people with this yeah. flexible working environment and then
2: flip, yeah, you're going to have... Which is actually a a huge change. Which is is where then I think it becomes unfair. I think it's absolutely fair for a company to set whichever expectation they've got around in office, home office, whatever it is. And I kind of get frustrated when I feel like the remote working community often are the the online walking around with a picket fence, like to say, (laughs) How dare you drag your employees into the office? It's like, well, you don't work there. It's,
1: it's fine. fine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you don't want to, don't apply for a job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: but I want to work with you, but I just want to work at home. Yeah. Okay, well, that's not an option. <laughs> but what is unfair is when companies said, oh, you know, we're flexible working, and then they said, no, you're everyone back in now, and you've got people with families, and yeah. Yeah. The side, and then they've got to look for a new... We're
1: flexible on that level. If you have a yeah. family, you want to pick up your kids, go. Like, that's doesn't yeah, 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 yeah. the time you come into the office, I don't care. I yeah. don't care. But... On some days, it is extremely beneficial to see your pe- your team in person, have in-person sure. one-on-ones. Yeah, but if you're going to do a whole day where you're only going to do project-based work and you don't want to be disturbed, do it from home. Yeah. Fine. It's yeah. not it's a problem. It's
0: basically a mature, grown-up way of doing yeah. yeah. it, right? There's levels of responsibility come in when you, when you can, ideally, more often yeah. than, than not. And if you need to take some time, take some time. Yes. Work yeah. from home,
2: do your stuff, whatever. Impact over rules for rules' sake, I think is impact just... over hours. Impact over hours. That was it's the honest.
1: quality, and not to, it's the quality of your work, not the quantity of hours you sit in the office yeah. looking busy. Um yeah, But absolutely. yes, we prefer to have everyone in the office. That was
2: when, yeah, when we That can. was funny. As so you going back to the kind of um, US thinking, and uh, we had a I had an old German manager at the time, and in the UK. Early days of recruitment, it was all about, you know, you had to be in an office from 8 a.m. till 7 p.m. every single day. And the person that left latest was always seen as like the hardest worker. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. And uh, my boss, who was from Germany at the time, came over and said, Well, if that's the case, you can just hire anyone and just sit them in the office for as long as you're to me the, yeah. the best people. It makes no sense. Makes no sense whatsoever. No. Um, it's about productivity and not how long you sit in an office for with a tie on. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: This is true. And you mentioned that there was potentially a bit of a delay in the change um in the the market
1: for ta yes that's now i think that that's now um especially after i think the 2022 that we had with these the layoffs and the looming recession hanging over our heads that has hit but hasn't fully hit yet and then combine that with the i think the challenge of people now have a very clear preference over where they want to work and when they want to work, remote, hybrid, fully in the office. There is a lot of talent available in some teams on the market, so it's not necessarily that extremely difficult to hire for certain roles. But then there's other roles, mostly highly technical, that are very complicated, that are very difficult to hire for because there isn't that much. um, So you're all all going to war over the same talent. yeah, if you combine all of those elements, it is not an easy job to do because there's so many aspects that you now need to be very clear about before you actually even go out and post a role yeah. because you want to make sure that you're fully set to answer any questions that you might get or you can go out and offer something that is extremely appealing to an individual that might get 20, 20 reach-outs on yeah, a weekly basis.
0: I think it's, um, it's interesting as well because TA now... Like just in the last year or two, really, has become not just recruitment. Um, TA is now, and we've talked about this on on a couple of podcasts, where we're, we're becoming closer partners, closely more closely aligned business partners, partners. to mm. the business, uh, as opposed to just being a, a sort of service yes. in the business. Where you know talent acquisition is becoming um, more people. Uh, whereas you you yeah. typically had HR functions where you would have within the HR function you would have your compliance side of HR and then you would have people talent attraction and so on and so forth. Yeah, people in HR now sort of sit side by side as opposed to under the same bracket. Yeah, um, and and I think that's that's been a recent change. I think that's not yeah, I th- and that's probably one of the biggest changes in my view because that puts us at the table uh, for decision making yes um in terms of strategy for businesses which was we were just uh recruiters before Mm yeah um and now we're sort of seen as as more strategic partners which i think is really exciting
1: i I think is really exciting it's actually my head of talent acquisition that i have in my company currently is probably one of my most trusted individuals that i work with because they hear so much what's happening in the market that is so extremely valuable to bring back in 100%. 100%. Um, so, yeah, I, I fully agree Certainly with that. People
0: forget that. You know, when you're talking to, when you're doing tech, technology recruitment, um, your product, you know, when you're hiring for product managers, product designers, you can learn so much from those guys. Um, and even when we're, we're doing a lot of um, sales recruitment at the moment, um, and a lot of the sales people are hearing stuff about in the market about, the company's products Mm -hmm. yeah that that then gets fed back into the engineering team the products teams to to enhance we we lack that feedback loop in in ta and actually there's you know having that trust between your your head of ta and and people is going to enable you to create a better working environment what is the market currently looking for in you know in 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 uh sort of employee value propositions and, and all this type of thing so yeah i think it's it's uh really important
2: all the partners that, we, that we've seen and work with all people in the industry I speak to, the highest performing recruitment teams and the ones that get the best talent and, and the most efficient ways are the ones that are super integrated into uh, business partnering and all the processes with all the hiring managers and stuff. The ones that get left to the side and just kind of get treated like a bit of a ticketing system, like we yep. need this role, get that feel, and they don't want to hear the feedback as much. They're always the ones that, performance, yeah. struggle yeah. to hire the best yeah,
1: I fully agree with that but for me ta is they're more than just just CV pushers they do yeah, yeah. so much more yeah. and they have so much valuable insight and if you as a company decide to overlook what they can bring I don't think you're going to be able to find what it's that you're looking for no
0: absolutely and I think that's where a lot of some businesses that we work with have, have gone down that route of having a sourcing team and then you have your ta team as well you know and they're, they're part of the same but sourcing is focused on finding proactively, outreaching, Mm -hmm. passive recruitment, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And TA is your business partnering, you know, making sure that your hiring managers are doing what they should be doing and they understand what their role is within the interview process and really make sure that they feel like they're getting a good service and that we're supporting them. We're an enablement function, not just a service function. so yeah, I think, I think uh, that's yeah, yeah. I I was maybe going further back um, when when I initially read that converse uh, read that question. Um, but I, I you know we, we, when we was talking to uh, James about the question, he was talking a lot about the eighties of War for Wall Street and Crude <laughs> <laughs> Um Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Powered by People podcast. Um, thanks for joining us, Dee. Thank you for having me. Um, you're very welcome and uh, ciao, ciao.
1: You have a lot to share, why don't you? And That yeah. is another nudge that uh, kind of happened and yeah, that's, that's that was my first yeah. ever push that uh, I and got.
0: And how long do you think you've been sort of really actively working on your personal brand?
1: I would say since 2016 end. 2016 end is when I started. It doesn't
0: happen overnight, does it? It doesn't. It has to
1: be super consistent, super consistent. Um,